Hi, I'm Apollonia. You may remember me from Purple Rain as leading lady to Prince, or from my band Apollonia 6. I've starred in films, TV shows, and I've been on the cover of magazines all over the world, including Playboy. I was also an LA Rams cheerleader. I'm going to take you with me. Welcome to my podcast, Apollonia Studio 6. Hi, I'm Apollonia Cotero, and welcome to my podcast, Apollonia Studio 6. To my right is my fabulous co-host, Mr. Seth. Mr. Seth, please tell us who's here today. What amazing guest do we have here today? Our amazing, unbelievable guest today went from DJ to director to internet mm -hmm. sensation and influencer. He is famous. He is infamous. <laughs> His website and podcast, Vlad TV, is one of the biggest on the internet. Let's welcome to Apollonia Studio 6, Vlad Libovny. Yeah. All right. Thank you Thank for having you. me. Thank you for having me. Wow, this Thank is you. just incredible. I can't believe you're here. DJ Vlad in the house. DJ Vlad in the house. Man, so how are you feeling today? I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. How is this COVID life treating you? What's going on? I mean, listen. I, I'm I'm vaccinated. I got the booster. Uh, good, you know, good. I stay out the way. I stay safe. You know, I've been COVID free so far. Yeah. You know, but yeah, still live your life. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. It was the first thing you did this morning. Well, second thing. <laughs> second thing uh, this morning. Um, you know, uh, well, Fridays is sort of like for Vlad TV's. You know, we kind of have to get through the weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like a lot of uh, you know the clips to kind of go up not only Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday sort of have to be set up. So a lot of times, you know, like my time is set up going through everything that's going to happen mm -hmm. through Monday and make sure everything is set up properly and all the titles are there and the videos all look right. And you know, we wow. get to the weekend okay. You're a well-oiled machine, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I looked you up, and uh, DJ Vlad, as Seth said, director, journalist, and you have the Vlad Couch. You are an influencer. Everybody knows all about you. My crew here is very excited that you're here. Uh, like if Megan Fox was here, they wouldn't have been as excited because it's that. Vlad. <laughs> no, I'm serious. They were just like jumping off the walls. You were born in the Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. It was the USSR at the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I consider myself Russian, even though technically it's, mm -hmm. it's a different country now. But at the time, it was part right. of the Soviet Union, so. You okay. Know, born of the whole communist thing. So you get here at five, mm -hmm. five years of age, and you head towards first. You're in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. Springfield. Okay, and you went to school there. A little bit, yeah, yeah. I think I think I started school there. I think up to second grade because I mm -hmm. remember when I moved to California uh, to the Bay Area, uh, I started third grade over mm -hmm. there. Third so, grade. So yeah. well, so you go straight from the Ukraine. To like the Yad and Boston. Yeah. How is that for you to, I mean, really understand, you know, our language, you know, especially, mm -hmm. you know, in Boston. I mean, everybody has their ways of speaking in, you know, Brooklyn, California. Yeah. yeah I mean, Russian, Russian was my first language. Uh, I arrived over there, but I think, you know, I was five years old. I picked it up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, like little kids just sort of absorb, yeah. absorb it. You know, my parents you know, still had accents kind of like throughout their lives, especially my dad who was a bit older. Uh, but yeah, I just picked it up. So even though English is technically my second language, it kind of became my, you know, became my main language pretty mm -hmm. quickly. 
Hmm. I would. I was looking you up. Uh, you were first uh, before Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got first billing. That's pretty dope. Yeah, I know. When you, when you Google Vlad, I think I'm one of the first ones to come up. I do it every so often just to see. <laughs> just see yeah. where the other Vlads kind of, you know, <laughs> fall in the universe, you know, according to me. There's... That's so cool. That is so cool. So now, and you're in San Mateo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I grew up. You start listening to uh, NWA. You start going to, you go to Berkeley. Yeah, I mean, it really started way before NWA. It started more like around, you know, in terms of hip hop, mm-hmm. started around fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when hip hop, you know, which obviously started in New York, but kind of became more of an international, you know, first a national, then an international sensation. Yeah. But you know, we're talking about like the the mid eighties is when you started to see kind of hip hop on TV, yeah. and the mm-hmm. first few records started coming out, and yeah. there was nothing on the radio. Yeah. Um, you know, like like you had to, there was like one local radio station at like. 11 p.m. that might play like a hip hop hour, but you know, you basically just go to the you know warehouse records and, and just buy a hip hop album hoping it's good because you know, you can't listen to it, it's not on the radio, it's you know, you're just hoping it's a cool song, yeah. Um, and that's kind of where it started, you know, with the you know, I was breakdancing at the time when breakdancing sort of became a thing, you know, mm-hmm. some of the first movies started coming out like Breaking and Beat Street, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, when when hip hop sort of became a, a national a national thing. You know, when breakdancing started to become, you know, more popular, start showing up on television, they started doing movies about it. Like, mm-hmm. I think Breaking was the first one and B Street yeah. was the second one. Like, mm-hmm. I really was, really just, you know, fell in love with it early on, you know, with the with the culture and the music and the dancing and the graffiti and the fashion and, mm-hmm. and everything that kind of went with it. And, um, you know, just kind of growing up as a, as an immigrant kid in uh, in America, with a name like Vlad, yeah. <laughs> right? Where yeah. there was like no Russian community where I lived. Like mm-hmm. when we moved to, to San Mateo, I was like the only Russian kid for miles and miles around. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was, uh, I mean, it was it was very much of a outcast kind of situation where the kids really would, you know, really bully me a lot over mm-hmm. over being <laughs> Russian and and you know and so forth. Uh, that I think you know it just sort of, you know, the culture of hip hop just kind of made sense to me at that time, mm-hmm. and I sort of just kind of fell into it. And uh, sort of became like a lifelong kind of thing, where you know, at 48 years old, I'm still yeah. I'm still doing it full time. Who were you really into? Like, who who was, who was the like first artist you were really into? Grandmaster oh. Flash and yeah. Furious Five. Yeah. yeah, I got to interview Melly Mel recently, and it was oh, like, great. you know, like th- this this record, you know, really, you know, uh, you know, uh, not, not not White Lines, but what, what's the name? Um, Broken glass everywhere. Oh, uh, uh, the, uh, don't push me. The, the, message, push the message. The message. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you know, we just talked about how like the message was sort of a turning point yeah. in hip hop. Where before, mm-hmm. you know, like like Melly Mel would say, uh, rappers would just rap about rapping. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. being yeah. rappers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. essentially, where like the message was the first sort of serious song, right, in the genre, and right. sort of you know, turned it into a direction where people looked at it as like a legitimate, you know, form of music. Right, right. Or it could have just kind of came and went or yeah. just became like a local New York thing. Like, yeah. like let's say Go-Go is yeah. local in DC, yeah. but doesn't really get out of DC. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, it was, um, you know, that that album, I mean, the, that that single, Run DMC's first album was yep. big for me. Yep. Um, NWA? NWA yeah. came a little bit later. Yeah, a little, later. Later. a little bit later. But yeah. I think like, um, you know, I think within... A couple of years after that, the Beastie Boys album was like, yeah. like yo, mm. like like you know. Were you watching New York Hot Tracks? 
Like, you remember nah. New York Hot Tracks? New York Hot Tracks. I'm trying to remember. I mean, like, like Yo MTV Raps was a big yeah, thing. You know, yeah. the original one with yeah. Five Five Freddy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then, like, you know, you had the various other, like, like TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. New York Hot Tracks made been like Night Flight. Night Flight. Radio 1990. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, where you have the internet to just look up a music video. You yeah. just grabbed what you can. And yeah. Yeah, not a lot of hip-hop videos out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. That was true. Mm -hmm. That was true. So how did you... Uh, how did you transition? Was the transition to DJ kind of an effortless one? I mean, it originally, uh, you know, like I'm trying, I'm trying to think how it started. Like, I mean, I've always been, I've always dabbled like musically here yeah. and there, yeah. like in, in uh, what was it, in junior high, I played like the clarinet and saxophone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I remember when I got to Berkeley, I started uh, making beats. I started producing um, and, and I kind of spent a few years sort of doing that sort of on the side and yeah. making little local demos, but there was sort of a realization just started to come after a while that yeah. like, I'm never going to be Dr. Dre. Yeah. I'm mm -hmm. never going to be Timberland or DJ Premier yeah. or, or these guys that are really just musically just very, yeah. very gifted. Um, so, so I remember I had a house party and, uh, uh, the DJ left his turntables on there. Yeah. So the next morning I just sort of hopped on and just started playing around and it just sort of came naturally. Yeah. And like the DJ thing was like, oh, okay, I think I could potentially be great in this because yeah. it's just so effortless, you yeah. know, my first time on it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that sort of became like kind of like an obsession where uh, I just started focusing on, on DJing, making mixtapes. I moved to New York in 2002 yeah. to kind of take the, the DJ thing more seriously. Where like, okay, I'm going to be in the scene of where it all is and, and you know, potentially have a chance to really kind of build my name up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, things sort of, you know, worked out their way, you know, <laughs> over yeah. over a certain number of years in that direction. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's, was it Giga staff? Giga G staff. Yeah. Yeah. Now before. Um, computer programmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Degree. I, well, I, I majored, when I went to UC Berkeley, I majored in computer science. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I graduated, that was like the heart, you know, I graduated in 96. So the dot-com thing was really yeah. like in effect at that point. You know, mm -hmm. I spent maybe like two years programming, realized it wasn't really my thing. So I, you know, and then around 97, I think I started my own company uh, called Gigastaff, which was mm -hmm. a staffing company where mm -hmm. I was helping people find jobs. And and this was like my first taste of like being an entrepreneur where I had like an office, I had employees. Yeah. I mean, I was, how old was I at the time? Maybe like 25 or something. That's, that's um, very young. Yeah. And um, it was all like, I mean, all this money was coming in. I bought a house, I mm -hmm. bought a Benz, like, you know, yeah. all that type of stuff. Yeah. And then um, the dot-com crash happened. Mm -hmm. And I think 2001, uh, which just wiped out our company completely. Um, and, and it was sort of like this, this kind of point in my life where I'm like, all right, do I go back and get a job? Do mm -hmm. I struggle with a company that really there's no market for right now? Or do I... Um, kind of pursue DJing and music because yeah. I'm kind of getting to this age where I'm not going to have a choice like this too much longer. Yeah. You know, I'm about to be too old to be a new DJ. Right. <laughs> you know gotcha. what I'm saying? Like, gotcha. like you could be an established OG DJ in their thirties yeah. or forties, but yeah. you can't be starting out when you're 40. Yeah. Like it's a little silly, yeah. you know? So I was like, all right, let me, let me really, you know, roll the dice and, and kind of take it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. What was your big, Break. So you, you, you. So what was your big break in music? Right. So, I'm, I'm in New York. Mm -hmm. So around maybe around 2003, and, yeah. I, and I'm putting out 
you know, I'm doing the whole mixtape thing yeah. and it's, it's a very sort of underground market yeah. where it's not really legal <laughs> per se. Yeah. You know, you're not really licensing this music. You're kind of putting these compilations together and yeah. selling them on the street or yeah. to mom and pop stores and yeah. so forth. That's how it was back then, though, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, we, uh, I came up with this idea to do this biggie mixtape called Rap Phenomenon where we took, we, you know, I, I hooked up with this guy named Dirty Harry. Uh, who who DJed for like Alicia Keys and Nas, mm. and he had mm. all these vocals from Biggie, uh, and you know back then that was sort of like no one had this stuff, so we like took all these Biggie vocals and put them on, you know, remixed it and put it on different beats and everything, and then we we put that out, and that sort of became kind of a a big thing at the time. Like mm -hmm. MTV did a whole you know feature on it, and mm -hmm. it was like oh shit, like I'm on MTV, and you know, and, <laughs> and, and and now it was it was one of these projects that sort of went everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then like we did a part two, which was a, a Tupac mixtape. And then uh, we brought in this guy, uh, DJ Green Lantern, who was Eminem's DJ at the time. Mm. And uh, we kind of did the same thing. We got all these Tupac vocals and getting them by various ways. And then this time we actually brought in a bunch of artists to sort of kind of do these songs with Tupac, mm -hmm. you know, after the fact. Yeah. Well, you know, like Busta Rhymes, yeah. I mean, Alicia Keys sang something, yeah. um, Bounty Killer, uh, Bun B. Um, exhibit, uh, Jadakiss. It was just a bunch Ooh. of a bunch of artists. Wyclef. Like wow. I, I'm sure I'm forgetting a whole bunch of people right now. But it was this really cool project that, that got even bigger and won like mixtape of the year at the mixtape awards. You know, back when they still had it. And it was like, all right, you know, now like the DJ Vlad name is sort of known in some of the hip hop circles. And yeah. it was like, all right, like I have a few different options of what I could do. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying with, with my career. You know, and it brought in like more shows and overseas and more, you know kind of more interest in some of my other projects and so forth yeah yeah that was critically acclaimed yeah yeah, yeah it was yeah it won it won, it won some awards it was kind of cool how did, how did you feel you know that kid from the ukraine coming out here and you're in a different world and you know having fun making your beats and now you're you're being rewarded you're a public person i mean it felt great it was like you know because you, you don't know when you sort of get into this, where you'll, if you ever sort of cross, you know, cross that, that threshold of like, you know, hobby to career, mm -hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like everyone, yeah. a lot of people dabble in the arts. Right. And it, it's just that, it's just a dabble that yeah. doesn't mm -hmm. get past their, uh, you know, their bedrooms or maybe their small group of friends. Right. Yep. You know, and it was like, all right, like I, I really want to do this seriously. And, you know, in, in the process of doing it, you know, I had to be very conscious of like, I can't have a nine to five job mm -hmm. during this time. Like I really have to do this full time because I, I can't compete. You know, someone with a nine to five job can't compete with someone who's just doing it day and night. Yeah. You know, not only the working on the projects, but going out to the events, the networking, going to the labels, going yeah. to the media outlets, you know, just you know, talking to people, like forming relationships and so forth. So it was like, I was just kind of all in. It was like, either I'm going to do it or I can go back to my previous life, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. in, into tech. Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was kind of cool. It was like, yo, like I actually got to a point and then it was like, all right, like once I got to that point, it's like, okay, this is cool. And, and there's a little bit of local notoriety, but there's really not very much money in it. And I'm still, I'm still kind of struggling financially and you know, I'm starting to get older, and like you know, what what am I going to do next? Yeah. You know, as I as I progress, because this mixtape thing is, you know, sort of in a decline yeah. because CDs are going away. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So you're following all those changes. I mean, you know, from CDs to 
streaming and yeah, well, streaming wasn't out then. Mm-hmm, right. There was no there was no streaming. There was MP3 files right. here and there. Yeah. You know. To now. Yeah. Yeah. And during this time, I mean, you you've established a lot of great relationships with your music, you know, with the uh, recording. So how did um, is that when you made the de- decided to make the transition? Kind to is that where the 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 seed of Vlad TV was kind of born? Well. It was uh, it was a sort of kind of chance. That... No, no, it was, it was sort of like this, this chance meeting um, okay. where my man, uh, my man Hip Hop, um, who, who's the brother of Biggs from from Rockefeller, um, he introduced me to QD Three, who mm-hmm. is Quincy Jones's son. Yeah, and he was mm-hmm. working on the Beef uh, DVD series, and they were looking for ways to promote it. And you know, QD Three was sort of a fan of the mixtapes. You know him being like a you know hip hop guy, so we did this. Um, we decided to do this project where I did this mixtape to promote the DVD, um, and in the process of doing that, I would hang out with QD Three in his studio, and uh, you know he was doing documentaries, mm-hmm. and I was just like, so I started just picking his brain, and I'm like, oh, how does this work? You got to pay everyone a documentary, you know? <laughs> do you have to license this? And it's like, oh no, you know, people a lot of times will do the interviews for free, and you know, mm-hmm. as long as you don't use the music, you could actually. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of like a mixtape. Like, all right, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I, I think I think I can maybe do this. So, yeah, um, uh, I was sort of hanging out with the games people uh, yeah. at the time. So we're like, we kind of came up with this idea to do a DVD around the games, um, you know, first album. Okay, and that was when I just kind of just picked up this old you know, mini DV camera, okay. you know, for, that I just had around, you know, around my apartment and was like, oh, let's just film him and let's put it together as a, as a DVD with a mixtape. And that was sort of my first uh, foray into, into the video world. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's kind of similar to mixtapes or music production or whatever. It's just, there's an extra visual element outside yeah. with the audio element. Yeah. You're still kind of cutting and pasting and putting mm-hmm. the stuff together. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And then you know, at that time there was like this kind of street DVD movement. Yeah. Like, you know, Smack was probably the most popular one. Um, you know, doing like these uh, MC battles outside and, and so forth that he was filming. So I kind of jumped into that a little bit, and uh, I started putting out my own DVDs where I would in- start interviewing people, put a few you know music videos out, and kind of just do some other sort of creative type stuff. Um, and but you know, at the same time, DVDs were starting to go away, mm-hmm. just like how CDs were going away. And it was like once again, I'm kind of in this back, back in this kind of cycle of like, gotta put out more projects. My money's getting tighter, and you know, this stuff is a little bit more legal, but yeah. you know, not mm-hmm. completely legal, but yeah. a little more legal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then right around 2008, that's when um, YouTube, that already been around for a few years, introduced uh, their partner program, which mm-hmm. was their uh, program they re- where you can monetize yeah. the views on your on your videos. And yeah. it was just like, oh, like th- th- this is it. Th- this is what I've been waiting for all these years. Yeah. You know, and uh, when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, let me take everything I've been doing and focus on this. Like I've been on, I've been doing what I'm doing and people liked it, but it was just not on a big platform. You know, it was just independently, uh, you know, distributed DVDs. Now I actually have an internet platform and other media outlets could sort of embed the videos and, and that that's the way these videos will spread. And I'm yeah. like, oh, like I just saw the vision of it all. I'm like, this is gonna be the biggest video platform in the world. It's just gonna take a few years. So let me <laughs> stop DJing, stop doing mixtapes, stop doing DVDs, stop, you know, whatever other hustle I had on the side and mm-hmm. just 
put all my focus on this because I think in in a number of years it's gonna this this will actually be where my career heads. And you know, I mean, luckily I was right. You know, right. in this <laughs> in this particular <laughs> sense, you know, I mean, that's the thing in business. You only have to yeah. get it right once. Yeah, you can keep right. getting it wrong over and over again, mm -hmm. and then like you get it right once. And I was like, oh, you know, he's a genius. How did he? It's like, nah. It's like I just kept getting it wrong for <laughs> ten years. So I finally got one good decision along the way. But right. you know, let's let's focus on all the shit I messed up, and yeah. you, you might not think the same way. You know? Trial and error. Yeah. yeah, but that's great. You know, what a what a learning lesson. Yeah. I mean, just you know, for us for this podcast, you know, just to keep striving and all that knowledge, all that practice, all that work then enabled you to direct American yeah. Gangster yeah, on so, BET. Um, Tell us about that. Right when I was starting uh, Vlad TV, um, that's when I, I uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the timing of this. Right around the same time, it was like, okay, I'm doing these street DVDs, but I want to do bigger projects. So uh, the first project uh, was called Ghost Ride the Whip. It was a documentary about the hyphy movement coming out of the Bay, which, you know, with like people like Mac Dre and Keith the Sneak and so forth. It was kind of really popular at the time. And me being from the Bay, it was like, oh, this is kind of a cool project that I could help put together, uh, you know, that I could direct, you know, with relationships I already have. So, um, you know, it was sort of the whole QD3 connection. This guy, Peter Spire, who's the director for QD3, I reached out to him. I pitched him the project. First, he didn't, you know, he passed on it. Then I kind of created like a 20 minute or 30 minute cut myself. When he saw it, he was like, oh, okay, oh, I, I see the vision of it. So we got a deal with uh, Image Entertainment to do essentially my first documentary, um, you know, which I which I directed and uh, and he produced. So so we spent, you know, as I'm launching Vlad TV, I'm working on, on Ghost Ride the Whip. And then right around the same time, based on Ghost Ride the Whip, the, the story in Ghost Ride the Whip was a lot, you know, a lot of it was about Mac Dre. And uh, American Gangster was a really popular series on, yeah. on BET at the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and the Mac Dre story kind of uh, overlaps with uh, his crew called the, the Romp Room Gang, which were kind of notorious bank robbers coming out of Vallejo who robbed mm -hmm. like 50 banks or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So by using, um, you know, kind of a, uh, the, the Ghost Ride the Whip documentary as yeah. sort of a rough draft. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I sent it, you know, I had a contact over at American Gangster. We sent it over to them and said, hey, what, what do you think about this, about an episode? And they, they loved it. So we got like a, a bigger budget, like a, it was like a quarter million dollar budget to actually film an episode of American Gangster about the Mac Dre story. Okay. You know, and that was like kind of like, probably one of my my you know the works that i think i'm probably most proud of yeah just to, you know because we we had the big budget the big cameras and the sound guys yeah. and the high-end editing and it was like it came together really dope and it yeah. was on bet and so forth but what i was learning from these projects as as i was doing them you know between you know ghost ride the whip and, and american gangster was you get a little bit of money up front and then you just never see anything ever on the <laughs> on back the end. Back end. Right. And I was like, this this just doesn't really work for me. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's number one, it's not enough money up mm -hmm. front compared to the amount of, you know, you're working on this thing for months. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, you, you never see another penny. And that, and that was really motivated me more to kind of go harder with the Vlad TV thing because that was content that I actually owned outright. Correct. Uh, you know, in perpetuity. Yeah. So it was like, all right, well, let me let me focus on my shit mm -hmm. and really get my stuff as as good as possible, and not really, you know, stop focusing on these these outside deals and yeah. trying to get you know 
these documentary uh, deals with these bigger companies, they're going to ultimately just own it outright and, right. and pay you a few pennies and go and on to the next person. And you did all the work. And you did right? all the work. You yeah, yeah. Like I've never seen, you know, I've never seen a, a royalty. You know, I did one more documentary after that. It was about Corinne Stephens. Yeah. You know, um, you know, AKA Superhead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once again, same story. I produced that. You know, a lot of the footage was based on my interview footage, mm -hmm. you know, that I came together with. And then, you know, got a check, never saw another penny. Yeah. It'd, show, it'd be on Showtime for like two months. Yeah. Never saw another penny. Yeah. Ghost Rider would be on Netflix for a yeah. year. Never saw a penny. So it was just yeah. like, all right, let me, let me motivate to work on my company because yeah. dealing with these companies, I mean, do I deserve royalties? Do I not? I don't know. But to even go through the process of trying to figure it out is just, it's a losing battle. Yeah. So, you know, we yeah. just kind of, I just kind of kept it moving after that. I get it. Damn. I get it. Got to go where the money's at. Yeah. Well, you got to make your own money. Yeah. You got to create yeah. your own stuff. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, do you remember who your first celebrity interview was on Vlad? Well, I mean, I was doing interviews before Vlad TV. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so it's like a lot of that time was overlapping. Yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of some of my first interviews that we posted on Vlad TV, yeah. because the first things were like the Ghost Ride the Whip, like right. kind of promo uh, videos, but. Yeah. I mean, Plies was an early interview. Mano was an early interview. Yeah. Um, you know, like pe people like that. But yeah. it was it was starting to kind of you know, YouTube was brand new. No one yeah. really even knew about it. And yeah. you know, I was kind of known in some of the hip hop circles, so it was like people weren't even sure what I was filming for. But what year did Vlad TV officially get started? Two thousand eight. Okay, so it's, yeah, been, so it's been for a while. fourteen years. Was there ever a celebrity that you interviewed and then you thought during or after, okay, this was just a bad idea? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we've scrapped interviews before. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, every so often. Yeah, I mean, we had one guy that was just a complete fraud. Okay. Um, okay. You know, who, who claimed he was like the former president of Murder, Inc. He claimed he was in the car when 50 Cent got shot and, and he had done other interviews about this and... I didn't do the interview myself. It was mm -hmm. done with one of my uh, outside interviewers. Mm -hmm. But then it was like, we were like 50 Cent went on Instagram and just said, it showed a snapshot of the interview just said fraud. Oh. <laughs> and then I remember when I called Ja Rule and I'm like, did this guy used to be friends no. with Murder Inc? He was like, I have no idea who this guy is. And I'm like, ah, shit. <laughs> Damn it. Let me delete it real quick. Delete everything real quick. Pretend this never happened. And, uh, you know, I mean, like we, we, we got it wrong. Uh, yeah. We got it wrong and we, uh, you know, we deleted it, uh, you know, as soon as I found mm -hmm. out. It yeah. only been out for like a, you know, a day or two. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you just felt like, okay, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily my interview, but we should have done more due diligence ahead of time yeah. to really make sure that this is the guy who we said he, he was, but we weren't going to stand behind it once we found out it wasn't. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, occasionally you, you, you get into these interviews where you're just like, you know, the person don't really want to be there, so you don't really want to be there. Like, right. You know, my interview with Lil Wayne, I had one interview with Lil Wayne, like mm -hmm. before Vlad TV, where he just like, one word answers, looked like he was still high off something, and it was just like... <laughs> All right, let me just <laughs> muscle through this and put it out and keep it moving. Yeah, okay. That was going to be my next question. It's like, what happens if someone comes in intoxicated and, you know, they're like, what do you do? You know, I mean, you know, I mean, the show must go on. You know, <laughs> everyone's there. There's camera people there. Right, there okay. There is, you know, locations. There is coordination, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And the, the vomitorium, right? <laughs> in case yeah. they get sick. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, you're there. You're there to do a job. <sighs> 
you do it to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, afterwards you sit back and you figure out what you're gonna do with it. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, sometimes you put it out, sometimes you say, eh, mm -hmm. I, I didn't really like the way it turned out. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna scrap it, yeah. which happens every so often, and yeah. not too often, but every so often. Yeah, it's got to be tough. Did you ever? Because I know you know you have you have interviewed all sorts of people in the in the music business. You've interviewed people in the entertainment business, mm -hmm. and just just period. Were you ever? Did you ever like uh, set up an interview or anything like that? And you got there, or they got to you, and you just felt okay. You felt really uneasy, and just felt like okay, maybe I shouldn't do this. And you don't have to name the person or the interview, but did you have you ever felt like oh, maybe I shouldn't, have, maybe this wasn't a good idea? No, I mean, I've had a few people get mad at me in the, in the mm -hmm. course of an interview. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember um, who, who was it? I remember I interviewed this guy, Ugly God, mm -hmm. you know, who at one point just sort of walked out. He just got mm -hmm. kind of frustrated with some mm -hmm. of the questions and mm -hmm. was just like, just sort of stormed out. Yeah. And then later on, you know, called me and apologized okay. about it. Um, you know, so that that, that happens yeah. every so often where yeah. like, you know, I mean, you're dealing with humans. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're dealing, you know, I, mean, I, I, I forgot what the guy's name is, but I remember he was turning himself in to do like 20 years or something like soon after the interview. Mm -hmm. And I remember I'd asked him about something. He got he got kind of upset and stood up and just started kind of yelling. Uh, I, I forgot his name or else I would just mention it. But like, uh, you know, things sometimes go left, yeah. but you know, I'm not, you know, my style has always, you know, I'm not trying to capture like the walkout moment. A lot yeah. of times when those walkouts are kind of, uh, you know, people acting out happens, we usually just cut that out of the, the footage and okay. just not put it out yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm not trying to have, be viral for someone storming out of the interview because right. that that's not really what we want to be known for. Mm -hmm. We want to be known gotcha. as a place where people come in and it's a, it's a comfortable place. So, so I, I try to, you know, with interviewing, I mean, now I've been doing it for, I don't know, 16, 17 years. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a craft more so than you know something you can go to school for like you kind of just have mm -hmm. to do it over and over again and figure out how to because you could ask anyone anything right just have to figure out how to ease into that question mm -hmm. you know and, and and when to ask that question you know you come in and, and ask a bunch of you know it's the first thing you ask is, is all this you know questions about trauma or or mm -hmm. really yeah. serious situations the person will just clam right. up and not want to talk at all or just be uncomfortable or maybe even leave it's kind of like you want to get the person's you know person comfortable and kind of check their temperature to see where you could go with the mm -hmm. line of questioning. Right. And you know, I kind of feel like the the art of it all is to try to ask, you know, figure out how to ask the most uncomfortable question that everyone wants to know the answer to without upsetting the person and getting the person to actually answer it. Right. You know, and that, that's not always easy. It's kind of like a, a puzzle piece, in, like, you know, in a way. It's like you're a therapist. Yeah, it's in like a way. Psychologist. Yeah, in, in a yeah. way. Yeah. I, 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 I approach my interviews in that, in that type of mm -hmm. manner sometimes. So it, it's like, you know, between all the research that's done before the interview mm -hmm. and then actually like, you know, the cameras are, are on go and you know you only have one ch chance to do this right. You know, you can't really like tell the person to come back and redo the interview. So right. you, you got to get it right. Mm -hmm that one time, uh, you know, that's sort of the where the pressure and the art, I feel like kind of comes in to try to create this story out of thin air with this person who you don't know mm -hmm. 
yeah. and you're usually meeting for the first time. Correct. And you're creating this product that millions of people will watch. And that's where the, you know, the pressure of it all comes together, you know, mm-hmm. to, to finally put it out and someone say like, wow, that was a great story. I'm, I'm glad I, I gave up a few hours of my life to watch that. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. wow. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So, man, so many great answers. This note to self, I am learning <laughs> From Vlad, the legend. So now, tell me a little bit about culture vulture. What does uh, that mean? Yeah, and, I mean, and I, what I is the, I get the, DJ Volch? <laughs> what is that? Uh, I, I don't know. Probably, probably some nicknames. Someone nicknames. Came up with. I have nicknames too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, culture vulture is, uh, I guess, a term that that popped up a few years back. I guess someone who people feel take from hip hop and, and don't give back mm-hmm. or aren't really part of the culture and just try mm-hmm. to, you know, try to uh, milk it or, you know, basically be a vulture and, you know, eat off the carcass of it and so forth. Um, you know, obviously there's a racial element to it, you know, mm-hmm. being white in a predominantly uh, black art form, mm-hmm. you, you're going to get that, you know, whether it's me or right. you know Steve Rifkin who started Loud Records and right. you know signed Wu Tang, I've gotten it. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, or Leo Cohen who used to be the president of Def Jam and mm-hmm. you know started Three Hundred and you know the things that the head of right. YouTube Music now like um, Joey IE like, like the list goes on and on about white guys who are called culture vultures mm-hmm. uh, in the art form. Um, you I know, never heard that. Yeah, I think I think anyone who uh, who knows my background and, and knows my story of you know, in terms of my involvement with hip hop since elementary school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, would probably change their mind a little bit. But then again, it just is what it is. It comes to the territory. Right. Like, I don't, don't take it too seriously. Yeah. Well, I had to disagree, you know, that that people have said that to you because I want to, you know, touch on my interview in a little bit uh, near the end because you made me feel so comfortable and it was just like a super classy interview. Thank you. Um, and it's still like like that interview, like the full interview, because you know mm-hmm. we release it with clips in the mm-hmm. beginning. And the, but the full interview, and I, I've been checking, is still like like a trending top interview on our YouTube channel. Like still, it's really? still getting like yeah, like I don't know, thirty, forty thousand views a day, consistently. Wow! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. Yeah, Thanks still, for watching. People are still watching. So I mean, I assume that people have been reaching out and, and kind of yes, yep, yes, they have. Yeah, because I mean, I know I know when an interview does well and when it, it doesn't. I think like this one in particular. You know, a lot of times when, when I interview, you know, because we, we're really kind of at our core a hip hop channel. So when I interview people outside of hip hop, I have to let sort of YouTube do its job mm-hmm. and let like their fans or the fans of someone associated with them, like a prince mm-hmm. sort of find that interview yeah. later right. on. So yeah. initially it may not do massive numbers, but, you know, as the, the Apollonia fans and the mm-hmm. Prince fans and the the Rick James fans and all the other topics that, you know, the Dave Chappelle fans yeah. or whoever else like finally yeah. finds it, that's when it starts to kind of take off over time and right. over time millions of people watch it. Yeah. Since we're on it, I did the interview and you made me feel comfortable. There was this transparency hmm. and uh, I know we were talking about it before we got started on this show. And um, I remember thinking as an actor, you do your scene, you hit your marks and, you know, the yell cut. Mm-hmm. And then you forget what you did. Yeah. You know, your director's like, I, you know, was in the moment. And I felt that with you because of the way that you were so kind and the questions, 
you did your your research. Uh, you asked about my family, and it was just like, <gasps> and that's the first time, the very first time that I really opened up in an interview. I'm gonna get choked up again. Talked about, you know, Prince, losing Prince, almost losing myself in that process. Um, my mother was dying when Prince, you know, transitioned, and then I couldn't tell her. So all these questions that you had, I was so open, you know, for the first time in many years. I learned from Prince to be mysterious, not to give interviews. <laughs> I was the one that he went never out. Did, he never did interviews, right? I, well, he did inter a few. No, yeah, you're right. I, mm -hmm. I saw, yeah, I think I remember later on, I yeah. think he did a few, but very few. For like 84, he had me going out doing all of his interviews, you know, so which was wonderful for me because he trusted that I knew how to, you know, drop his pearls of wisdom for his purple public. But thank you again for having me on your show. It was enlightening. I learned so much about myself, mm. you know, that it's time for me to, to speak about my life and Prince and my family. And it was you that enabled me to do that. You kind of like, uh, you just took me by the hand that day. And Seth, you were there. And thank you so much. Thank you. It was an honor. It was an honor. Thank I think you. it was a very important story. And while we're at it, you interviewed Morris Day, my yeah. brother. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about that. I mean, I, I was a big fan. Yeah. You know, uh, Jungle Love had been oh. my jam like forever. <laughs> uh, you know, and and just this whole kind of like persona yeah. with like the mirror, and, yeah. you know, yeah. the suits and yeah. you know the hair and everything else like that. And um, yeah, he just kind of came solo. I think originally we had it. We had a plan this one date, and then he got like really, really sick. Mm. This is like pre-COVID, I believe. Mm. Mm. Uh, he got really, really sick. But then, you know, we rescheduled, and uh, we came in, and you know, just a, a very, a very dope story. And I feel like Morris didn't really hold back. Mm. You know, I mean, he called Prince cheap. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. he, he talked uh -huh. about the money problems. Yeah. He talked about how him and ha you know him and Prince stopped rocking with each other, and you yeah. know how he didn't really. You know, when Prince got more religious, he wasn't really, you know, mm -hmm. he didn't want to go along on that journey. And, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it, it was like, you know, a lot of times when, when someone passes away, a lot of people feel like, you know, all their imperfections just are gone. And they're mm -hmm. this perfect human being. Yeah. And, you know, and that's just not reality. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's nice to really speak to someone who really keeps it 100 and, and, you know, talks about someone, you know, their good side and their bad side. Yeah. You know, just like we all have. Yeah. But that, that was a great interview. I'm glad yeah. he came in and did that. Mr. Morris Day. What was an interview that you did, and as you were doing it, you said to yourself, this is gold? Um, let me think. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> Your interview was great, obviously. That Floney interview was great. I'm teasing, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that the... Uh, when I interviewed uh, Fab Morvan from uh -huh. uh, Millie Vanilli, yes, oh. th that was that was a very big one for me because it's always like for me at at forty eight, it's always cool to interview people that I was fans of mm -hmm. when I before any industry right thing right where I was just it was just purely a love of the music, unadulterated. I had you know I I never had plans to start a media company or right. whatever else. I just figured I was going to be a fan my whole life. Right. So, you know, 
I was me and the rest of the world were fans of Millie Vanilli. Yeah. Like Girl You Know It's True yeah. was yeah. you know, Blame It on the Rain were like the biggest songs of the year. Yeah. They won all the grand, you know, they won the best new artist Grammy, which, you know, for those that don't know, was considered there's like four big Grammys. Mm -hmm. I think they won like like song of the year and yeah, brand new they, artists. Mm -hmm. Like it, it was like these up big they, they cleaned mm -hmm. up yeah. at the Grammys. Then they had to give the Grammys back. Had to back. give them all back. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, in the process of, so it, it was very, as someone that just saw it from the outside yeah. and saw this whole train wreck happening. Yeah. And I remember in the interview, I even mentioned how there was this MTV thing that I saw where after the interview, they were like, we're Millie Vanilli, you know, shout out to MTV. And they couldn't speak English a lick. Yeah. Like their, their accents were so thick that I was yeah. like, yeah. how are these guys saying this stuff? Like yeah. these guys can't even speak English. <laughs> yeah. Which, which was true at the time. Yeah. They were singing this stuff. Yeah. And uh, to just sort of hear the whole story of it all, of like how they got caught up into agreeing to lip sync. Yeah. You know, and how kind of how quickly it happened and how the guy who did it had a history of this type of thing. Yeah. Um, like like the, the producer who put it together, um, he had had this other really huge hit where he actually did the vocals, but it had a black vocalist. Mm -hmm um actually performed the song yeah i, I forgot who it, who it was i, I could look it up real quick. Yeah. but anyways it was like this guy did it once and he's like okay i'm gonna redo it again get these yeah. two good looking guys <laughs> yeah. have a bunch of middle-aged guys singing the vocals yeah. we'll put them out yeah. it'll be a hit yeah. boom and you know and how how they got caught up into it and then um kind of what how how it got exposed yeah. and then sort of the just the the massive embarrassment yeah. and the fallout from this, and and how his his group mate ended up getting on drugs yeah. really heavily, yeah. and how ultimately he checked himself into rehab, but I guess went on a big drug binge yeah. right before he checked in and died, died. and yeah. you know, and just just the whole story of it all was I feel like th th this is one of these stories. Because you know, no one's ever had to give back a Grammy before yeah. or after That's right. that. That's right. <laughs> this was a very strange yeah. situation. Yeah. Although there, there's been lots of, you know, people lip syncing. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the past, and and even I mean, even today, there's yeah. so much. You know, you could do so much with Pro Tools that yeah. you could mm -hmm. take the world's worst singer and have make them, them sound relatively decent. Make them great. Yeah, I remember when they did the same thing with uh, CNC Music Factory and Black Box. Martha, Martha, Martha Washington. Wash. Yeah. They did the same thing with Martha Washington. And Wash. she sued. And I think that and her lawsuit actually changed the, the laws. Yeah, changed Where now you had to actually put That's right. the right people in, That's the, right. in the credits. Right. Yeah. It was, so it was, it was a thing. It was, yeah, it was a time of like, you know, pulling back the curtains and yeah. like, okay, this is really what's happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. but so now, I mean, not that anything really changed because I think it still sort of happens yeah. to a certain degree. Yeah. But, you know, it, it was it was a very interesting story to yeah. see it happen for the first time and, and really get a firsthand account get the real, of, of the whole the, thing. The full story, yeah. yeah. Was there ever, were you ever interviewing anyone, a celebrity, and got a confession in an interview that just kind of left you speechless? Like somebody said something, you were like, shit. I mean, when I interviewed Keefe D, who uh -huh. was in the car uh, that killed Tupac, uh -huh. you know, going into that whole story was like, you know, because I, I kind of felt like with that interview, I sort of solved the case mm -hmm. of, you know, because not only when, when when we released it, not only did that interview come out with him, but mm -hmm. as he's talking, 
were cross-referencing, you know, I had dozens and dozens of interviews about the Tupac incident, you know, yeah. from, you know, Edie, I mean, from the outlaws that was in the car right behind mm -hmm. to, um, you know, the first responder cop mm -hmm. that showed up, uh, Chris Carroll to, you know, the, you know, the investig, you know, the police investigator that ultimately, that, that took over the case later on, um, that all the stories that he was saying was all fitting together with all the other people that were there mm -hmm. telling the same story mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I mean, because it's still an unsolved case, it's yeah. still an open murder. So yeah. th there is always the, oh, the government killed Tupac or yeah, right. Shug Knight killed Tupac, had him killed mm -hmm. or, you know. Yeah. Uh, Conspiracy Biggie theories, killed right? Tupac, yeah. you know, or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, where it was like, all right, like, this case will go down unsolved, but here's a firsthand account of, so, of the last living member in that car, because mm -hmm. three, the three other people in the car are now dead, you know, who's an older man mm -hmm. that will not get a chance, you know, telling the story for the first time. Yeah. So it's like, with Tupac still being, you know, one of the biggest artists in the world, you know, 20 something years after his passing, yeah. uh, you know, I think it really, sort of finishes the story in a way and brings a certain level of closure to it. And I was like, yo, like this is, this is going to be important when it comes out. Yeah. 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 Wow. That's heavy, huh? Mm-hmm. Is there a celebrity out now that you haven't had a chance to interview that you'd love to interview? Tons of them. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we still Give do. me your top two. <clears throat> um, I mean, me and Kanye have never done like a proper interview. I mean, I interviewed one, him, a long time ago before mm -hmm. Vlad TV, back when I was doing mixtapes and okay. I ended up losing the, the the interview over the years. <clears throat> um me, me and Eminem have never done an interview. We've okay. never even been in the same room. Okay. We've been in the same room once. But we never actually met. Um me and Obama, you know, that'd be a great mm. interview. I've never yeah, done that one. Right? Whoa. Um you know, Steve Jobs would be an interesting one. Mm. Or not Steve Jobs. Um uh Elon, uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates. Sorry, Bill Gates. Yeah, Bill yeah. Gates would be a great one. Mm -hmm. um, Elon Musk would be a great yes. one. Yeah. Never got a chance to interview him. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so these are sort of like, you know, people that are on the radar that yeah. at some point might come together, might not. Yeah, we'll see. That's okay. great though. He's ambitious. Yeah. yeah, the big picture. Yeah. All righty. So with all of this fame and notoriety. How does that make you feel? Especially knowing that this is one of my favorites, that you're on the boondocks on yeah. Adult Swim. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah. I was a character on Well, I, I was myself, so cool. myself on the boondocks. <laughs> yeah, I, I was dope. So, yeah, fame and notoriety. Yeah, uh, the boondocks thing was dope. Uh, shout out to my man Carl Jones, who was like the, one of the main producers, one, one of the main artists on that show and did a lot of the voices. Um, I love that. Yeah, it was cool because I was actually played myself on the show yeah. and it came from sort of like a random conversation me and me and him had and it was like cause the, sh the scene was already shot with sort of like this kind of character dj mm -hmm. where i'm like oh you know you should get me on the show and he's like wait a minute we, there's a scene that i think you'd be perfect for so i came in and, and i did the reading and they ended up using it um but in, in terms of to answer your question um i really am not like i i try to keep myself as separated from the fame mm -hmm. as, as i can which is why i keep myself off camera mm -hmm. yeah and like people know my voice more so than my face. Yeah. A lot of times people like see me for the first time, mm -hmm. like yeah. when they see it, when they see me do an interview or see me in a picture or something yeah. like that. Cause it's just like, 
I'm not a big fan of the fame yeah. mm -hmm. for fame's sake. Yeah. Right. Like if, if I need it to accomplish something, then cool. Yeah. But in general, I prefer to just have my own uh, personal life gotcha. and to be more just incognito yeah. and to be able to just go, you know, like I like going to grocery stores and just shopping mm -hmm. by myself without yeah. having to take pictures with everyone or have security with me everywhere I go right. or, you know, like, right. and, you know, if I ever want to feel famous, I could go to any hip hop event and the whole place will know who I am. And yeah. there's a lot of picture people taking pictures with me and telling me, right. you know, how much they like the show or whatever else. Yeah. And that's cool. So if that's something that I need to make myself feel better then, yeah. then I could do that. But in general, I kind of like to, to stay more, I guess normal, right. <laughs> you gotcha. know, and, and and less famous. Because because if I wanted to be more famous, all I got to do is just put myself in front of the camera. Right, right. exactly. It's, it's easy. It's a it's a split second decision that that could transform my whole life within a couple months. But it's just not really what I'm into. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, you give your audience advice on investing. Mm -hmm. investments well, not really i don't give them advice a little bit you well you know you, you talk about it <laughs> a little you know i talk about my own experience and if they want to but, but that's great advice though because we're all listening <laughs> and your thoughts on you know now cryptocurrency nfts and all yeah. that fun stuff what do you think about all that i mean i don't own any crypto or nfts myself uh i mean there's been talks about turning some of my content to nfts you um, are an nft baby yeah um i, I interviewed uh, this girl named people pleaser uh, who <laughs> I love is, that uh, name. she, her I group, uh, Pleaser Dow, owns some of the most expensive NFTs in the world, mm. like the Dogecoin mm. uh, meme, or like, um, uh, what else do they own? They own, um, who's the guy, uh, Edward Snowden's NFT, and, and, and a few other really? people. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in Shaolin, the Wu-Tang, One of One album, and so forth. Wow. Uh, so, I, I'm familiar with what it all is, mm -hmm. um, but... For me, you know, maybe about 11 years ago, I really went, you know, once, once the business started to take off, I really went just all in into, into stock investing. And, you know, because I, I had just messed up my money so many times over the years of following, you know, fear of missing out, following some trend or having a friend who yeah. you give them some money to invest, they lose it all or they, they run off with your money and, you know, because you're trying to flip and double your money and so forth. And I always told myself, like, I, like, when I start to make real money again, I'm going to really take my investment into my own hands yeah. and not depend on anyone else to tell me what to do, to read my own books, to, to do my own research and, and to really make my own decisions with it. So, uh, I started, I started doing, doing that, that then, and and it, it sort of became kind of like the, the basis of my fi you know financial life. Yeah. Uh, so once you know crypto and NFTs and everything came out, you know I mean I'm aware of it, and, and I'm talking to you know like like this you know this girl like her her group is a multi billion dollar group at this point with like you know I think they just raised a hundred million dollars in capital. Um, but, but you know, you know so, so I'm, I'm fully aware of it, but I, I also feel like, you know, I'm not the type of person to really kind of chase the next big thing or try to really quickly flip, you know, and double or triple my money. Like, like what, what I have done over the years has worked for me, and I understand my investment style. And I always notice that when I go outside of that, when I try to chase whatever is hot, I usually end up even either losing or breaking even. So I'm just kind of sticking with my own kind of thing. and. 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where it heads. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe at some point I will invest, but right now, not, not, not so much. I don't own any, any crypto. I don't own any NFTs. Um, so we have a ritual that we have on this show. Okay. I hit people with uh, what I call my big 10 questions here. Okay. Uh, tell me one thing that most people don't know about you. Uh, hmm. hmm. I, I guess that like, uh, I have a really just like a silly personality, like in mm. terms of who I really am. Yeah. You know, I mean, because a lot of people just know me from from doing interviews, so yeah. they kind of get that snapshot yeah. of, of my conversation. Yeah. But but in real life, like I'm really like kind of silly, funny type person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like like I've, I've I've always you know the reason why I interview so many stand ups because I'm such a fan of it, and yeah. I think mm -hmm. like I'm like a, a closet stand up comedian. Yeah. <laughs> like, you nice. know, in my personal life, <laughs> even though I'll never actually get on stage and do it. But but you know I I, th I think that's that's the thing where, where people don't really know my personality you know and that that's sort of like I think the core of my personality okay. just just being silly funny and so laughing he's gonna, he's gonna so do the worm for us as he leaves <laughs> yeah exactly because <laughs> I know you know your, your moves I know you bust moves I, yeah, I have I have break dancing in, in a while <laughs> see we have to take myself. it off dancing I, I hurt myself <laughs> what's the best part about being DJ Vlad Uh... I think that uh, sort of realizing that what I'm creating on a daily basis is going to live past my lifetime. That that I'm I'm documenting important important uh, historical stories that that will go on and you know sometimes be the basis for certain people that never get like a, a big budget documentary or anything. You know, like for example, yeah. when I interviewed John Witherspoon, who mm -hmm. passed away a few years ago, like yeah. we did, I think mm -hmm. either his last or second to last interview, but we did his only interview where he told his life story from yeah. where he grew up to how he made it in comedy and, you know, <clears throat> you know, sort of yeah. important yeah. parts about his most iconic movies like Friday or Boomerang and so forth. And, and it's like, you got all these people that are going to be fans of, of John Witherspoon for a year, you know, we're going to discover Friday. Now, there's someone's watching Friday for the first time yeah. today, yeah. right now. They're yeah. watching Friday and they're going, wow, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> yeah. Who's this John Witherspoon guy? Yeah. I want to know a story. And there's really only one place that you can find it, which is, you know, on Vlad TV, yeah. you know, on our YouTube channel. And, and, and that's sort of like, to me, is like, yo, like we're really leaving important pieces of information yeah. on this earth, which will be around past my lifetime you know, kids are going to write school reports and use this as a basis of their school reports. People yeah. can discover certain people in the past who aren't around anymore, who, who or maybe are still around, yeah. you know, but yeah. are older. And this is a snapshot into the life at a certain age, yeah. because you know you're only going to be that age that day. Yeah, and we're capturing you know your image and, and your your thoughts and your your vocals on that particular day for for the future. Yeah, and that's and that's important. Yeah, uh, that 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 to me, I think, is the coolest part. Yeah, wow, profound. What wow. can be, or what is the most challenging part about being DJ Vlad? <laughs> I think that uh, you know, and this always sort of weighs on me every day is that a lot of the the main research is sort of done that day, that morning. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a bit of a procrastinator, 
and it's just like, you know, you, you see you have an interview with someone on your calendar and, and you know that there's a lot of resources put into this interview, mm-hmm. you know, not only the production costs, but, you know, appearance fees and, and, and your, your own time, yeah. you know, and the people that, you know, that work on the research and my own time and, and in my employees' time and, and so forth. And, and you're like, okay, like you have to, you only get one chance to, to do it. And yeah. you have to have all your ducks in a row and you have to do all your research. You don't want to like do the interview and then, the next day you see some piece of information that you just missed completely. Yeah. Oh, damn, I should have asked that. Um, so it's just like, you know, cause, cause the goal is that whenever sit, someone sits down in that chair, that this is, you know, the goal is this is going to be their biggest interview ever in their life. Yeah. Like that, that, that's how I go into it. Like this is, I don't care what you did. I don't care if you were on 60 minutes. I don't care if you were on Jimmy Kimmel. I don't care if you're on the breakfast club. Yeah. This is going to be your biggest interview yeah. because we are going to, create this story with you that's going to be better than anything you've done before. Yeah. And people are going to gravitate towards this and, and, and over time, look at this. So it's just like a lot of like, got to get this right, you yeah. know? And, and a lot of it is based on the research yeah. because we don't, you know, I remember when I was in, in the UK and uh, I interviewed Tim Westwood, you know, who's been doing it longer than I have. And, and we talked about our styles of interview and he's like, he never researches. You know, his thing is like, he just likes to, vibe and shoot out the you know shoot from the hip and and kind of just get a get a flow for that particular person that day and i'm like the total opposite mm-hmm. you know and, and he he's done great doing yeah. what he does yeah. so so you know it's just it's just different but for me it's like we we you know the research is what sets it apart mm-hmm. and um even when i'm not doing the interview myself you know i have a, a group of people that do interviews uh on vlad tv we still provide the questions and we still do all the research you know that they and they follow that blueprint so it's kind of like it's it's a lot of pressure to get it right yeah because you know like i said earlier uh, in this interview you can't really get the person to come back right you, you're done as soon as that camera shuts off you you have what you have to work with and you gotta hope that your audience likes it yeah so so that, that's the that's the you know that's the hardest part i think if you could interview one person living or dead who would it be and what would be the one question that you would want to ask them? Um, I mean, if you if you say living or dead, yeah, probably Tupac. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think I think doing a, a Tupac interview would be, uh, you know, w- would be the uh, the one I would pick, and and I guess if I could, uh, you know, ask one question, I, I guess from everything that I've heard after the fact with other people I've interviewed, it seemed like, like Tupac and Biggie, you know, had a very close friendship Mm -hmm. at one point. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it seems like had they both lived, that would have been Mm reestablished. You know, we just had an interview we did with Lil C's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Sean Perez did it, did on our behalf, you know, who was part of bad boy. And, and, and C's went into like how Pac would go to, Biggie's block and they would all hang out and yeah. smoke weed and yeah. you know they would all talk together and there was a real friendship yeah. and had had they both survived mm-hmm. and you know gotten over this um they would have probably become friends again mm-hmm. and, and I think that if, if I had a chance with, with what I know today and how I, I conduct myself if I had a chance to really talk to him and sort of dig into that relationship with him and Biggie 
it could have potentially, you know, gotten them back together. Like, you know, for example, just recently, uh, I remember we actually posted this morning, um, Howard Hewitt from Shalimar mm -hmm. did an interview on Vlad TV. Yeah. Uh, Sean Prez, mm -hmm. uh, once again, did the interview. And, and in the interview, we talked about uh, Jody Watley mm -hmm. leaving the group. And there was a fight that happened at the end where she she claimed that Howard told her, you know, during the argument, you'll never be shit without Shalimar, <laughs> right? And they never spoke again after that day. For 40 years. She has been offered, you know, there was people that are offering big, big dollar amounts for a Shalimar reunion with her and she would turn it down mm -hmm. every time, mm -hmm. right? They, they've never performed mm -hmm. together. And, and just this morning, we had posted a video from Howard Hewitt, who, you know, following this interview and how big that part of the interview got, he did this whole like formal apology to Jody Watley. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, first time in 40 years. Cause even in the interview, he was like, he was like, well, she said, I said that, I don't remember saying that. And you know, uh, you know, all she could say is look motherfucker, like, you know, you were wrong. I blew mm -hmm. up as a, as a solo artist, but he never apologized. Mm -hmm. So it, it was like, he he apologized on video because of how big the Vlad TV interview got. Mm -hmm. And you got to think this is 40 years. It's not like this is the first time he's been asked that question. Right. <laughs> right. Know, it's probably been addressed before in various ways. But right. the fact that on our platform, with the way we presented it, with how big it got, the feedback that he was getting, you know, triggered him to say, hey, it's time for me to publicly apologize to this woman. And... uh you know, who knows what's going to happen next, but it's like, if you sit, you know, if you sit back and let's just say in the near future, Jody accepts his apology and then they go and, and do a Shalimar show together. Right. And it's like, yo, like we, we, we played a part in that. Like, yeah. Yeah. This was, this is yeah. kind of like. Front row seats. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's something that, that, um, you know, is, is like, you know, and this is what we kind of set out to do in the beginning is like to be on a caliber of a 60 minutes where, yeah. where what we do has far reaching effects. It's not just here's an interview and our audience checks it out and then they go on the next one. It's like, yeah. okay, like mm -hmm. this sets off shockwaves in the world where other things happen and, and you know, hopefully positive things happen yeah. in, in the process. Yeah. And, you know, I think the Howard Hewitt thing is, is an example of it. And, you know, and I think, yeah, if I had a chance to interview Tupac, you know, maybe the the line of questioning would have had him sort of rethink the whole situation say so, yeah you know something maybe you know that is my homeboy you know yeah. you know something he didn't have anything to do with my shooting like i'm yeah. i'm just tripping and i'm uh, you know maybe certain people are in my ear and yo i need to you know cuz imagine had they both lived yeah done a joint album together yeah. you know grown older Tupac could have had kids and you know yeah potentially been you know dabbled into politics and so forth like you know it, it it's you never know. So yeah. the long answer to a oh. short question. Mm -hmm. Great answer. What's the craziest rumor you've ever heard about yourself? I mean, people think I'm, I'm the feds. <laughs> I get that to this day. They think I'm secretly working with the police. Um, you know, I've been accused of uh, our interview. Like, I remember there was a rumor. We were trending for like two days because there was like a fake article where you know, they claimed his judge thanked Vlad TV for helping convict this one rapper, you know, that we interviewed ARAB, which was not true. <laughs> like, oh, um, you know, every so often, yeah, we, we just get this whole like, oh, Vlad's the reason this person went to prison or, or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it ends up always being not true. Like mm -hmm. the person themselves will be like, 
this isn't true. And, yeah. You know, and, and so so you get these types of things every so often. Um, you know, so you just like, all right, you know, you kind of address them in your own time. Yeah. But but you know that with any conspiracy theory, you addressing them is just more fire to the conspiracy yeah. theory. Like, of course yeah. you would deny it, because that's yeah. what <laughs> you would do if you're a fan. Like yep. <laughs> so, so that type yeah. of thing. Crazy. Well, I guess this this next question kind of falls into the last question is because of your because of Vlad TV, what's the biggest public misconception about you? You think? Um, I I think that that a lot of people don't understand that sort of like the intrinsic love I have for for hip hop and yeah. the art form and so forth. I think yeah. people really um, you know, sort of see the views and see the money and. Mm -hmm. You know, and and see the, you know, some of the drama that's discussed in the interviews, mm -hmm. and they think that that it's it's just for that, and mm -hmm. it it just isn't. Right. You're giving us all a platform. You gave me yeah. a platform to yeah. speak and to you know talk about. It's a, it's a platform, yeah. and mm -hmm. and uh, you know. I've heard that they think I secretly drug my guests. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. like into telling the. Giving him truth, truth serum, truth serum, truth right? serum or something <laughs> of the fact. Yeah, right, Apollonia that, was crying. They yeah, gave her truth serum. Yeah, you know that, that I'm somehow secretly recording people or or whatever else. Whereas, like, clearly everything we've ever put out, it's professionally shot. <laughs> you know, there there's multiple cameras, right, right. multiple microphones. Right. You've never seen sort of like a hidden camera. We've never mm. put out like a, you know. A, a, like, like I've never recorded a phone call that I've had with anyone and right. then put that out, even though I have, I've had it done to me. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. it's just, it's never been our style to do anything but just good business right. and right. everything being above board. But, you know, people are always going to create their own, their own narratives around mm -hmm. it. But, you know, we, we're, we're a very, you know, straightforward company. And, you know, I have a staff of 14 people, yeah. um, you know, um, my employees have a great working environment. Uh, you know, everyone always gets paid on time. You know, everything is always, you know, you've never heard anyone come forward and and bring any sort of like legitimate, like Vlad did this to me and here's the proof. It's right. always like, oh, I heard that Vlad is this or I heard right. that Vlad is that, but it's never the actual person or, right. or any actual kind of thing because we've always done, we've always done good business. Right. Great. Okay. Choose one, love or money. Why? <laughs> that's a tough one that's, that's, that's a tough one I, I think I mean you know I, I, I would say I would say love because you know if, if you don't have someone that you, you really love and care for who really cares for you having a bunch of money Brings a certain level of emptiness mm. to to it all. Damn. Okay. You know, and 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 I, you know, and and there are times you know, you know, in my life when when I've I've had a lot of money, but faced with the prospect of losing someone I really mm. care about, you realize that you would pick the person over the money. Yeah. And and uh, you know, and having money is great. You know, I've had a pursuit of money since I was a little kid. You know, we grew up. You know, Massachusetts. We lived in the projects. Yeah. Uh, you know. My family ended up getting a little more stable over the years, but it's not like we were ever rich or, mm -hmm. or, or well off. Um, so I've I've always wanted to have money. I've always talked about money. I've always pursued money. But you know, I think that that having a bunch of money and and not really having people around you who care about you. And I've, I've had those times in my life where it's like 
you just have just bad people around you who are just there to really just mm-hmm. take advantage of you. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I mean, everyone wants friendship. Everyone wants companionship. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants love. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone wants friendship that, you know, you are going to seek it in some, um, in some type of way. And uh, if you don't have people, you know, people in your corner that really care about you, you're going to probably lose whatever you, you built. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I've, I've, I've made that mistake over the years. Yeah. So, so I, I would say love over money. And I think that once you have, once you have the love, making the money is a lot easier okay. because you're not always trying to chase the love. Wow. Gotcha. Brilliant. Damn. All right. Wow. If sex were food for you, what food would it be? <laughs> if sex was food. Uh, what would it be? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> all you can eat buffet. I don't know. <laughs> Sizzler. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. If you could trade places with one person for a day, who would it be and why? For a day? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One day. Just one day. Just one day. One day. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting one. Um. I think Oprah would be kind of cool. Hmm. Training plays with Oprah, you know, because yeah. we're, we're in somewhat of a similar field. Mm-hmm. And I think like Oprah's accomplished so much, yeah. you know, a lot more than I have, <clears throat> you know, over the years and really gotten to like a financial level and, and really just uh, an influence level mm-hmm. and so forth. I think it'd be really cool to sort of just see mm-hmm. what it's like to sort of sit at the top of all that and really, you know, figure out kind of how, how she did it and how she approaches it and so forth. Because that's definitely, you know, one of my heroes. Okay. Awesome. All right, last last uh, question, and actually this is a <clears throat> statement. Mm-hmm. If I could do it all over again, I would. I would do it the same way. Um, you know, it was, uh, you appreciate a lot more mm-hmm. when, you, when you get it out the mud and when you start at the bottom. You know, it's, uh, It's, uh, you know, a lot of mistakes, you know, you, you learn from your mistakes and, you know, it, it, the, the suffering and the hard work and the doubt and the, the not knowing what the future is like that, that's what drives a lot of it. So, <clears throat> you know, you can't really say like, oh, okay, I would skip these steps and I would not make these mistakes and so forth. But then that, that's not, that wouldn't get you to the same place. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think, I think I would do it the exact same way. And, um. You know, and, and I think I've always been fairly good at, at sort of mapping out the future. Yeah. I've, I've always been like, you know, I mean, I remember 30 years old working at this dead end strip club, really just going like, really, how did I get here? Like, like what, mm-hmm. what mistakes have I made in my life to, to end me up here? Like in, in this, this kind of like just crappy environment, you know, knowing that one day I would be great at what I do, but. Clearly, it's not being recognized in this moment, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, really just kind of, kind of going through that, and really just sort of pushing through, and, and always looking for the next big thing, and, and figuring out where you're going to go next, and, and you know, n- always thinking long term with it, yeah. you know, not mm-hmm. making the, the, the you know the short term decisions that will keep you where you are, because the majority of people that I grew up with are pretty much where they always were. Yeah. And that, that that's never been my goal. My goal has always been like, okay, five years down the line, this is what we're going to do. 10 years, 20 years. Um, 
you know, and there's certain things that you avoid along the way to make sure that you get to that point. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, Howard Hewitt, you know, when he talked about the apology, he <laughs> said, uh, you know, 40 years is a lifetime to some people. Mm -hmm. Some people don't make it to 40. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, some people don't make it to 40. Yeah. Uh, every year, mm -hmm. people we interview, like young, young men end up getting killed, you know, months or years after our interview. And it's just like, you look back on it going like, damn, he was, you know, like Mo3 was 20 something. Um, yeah. Ching's Drugs was 20 something. Yeah. Um, you know, me and Pop Smoke were, were in talks to do an interview. He was like 21. Like, and you realize that you could do so many things along the way to not make it to old age. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Yeah, yeah you know, old age, you know, people complain about being older, but, but, age you know being getting older and ages it's a gift that, that sure. not everyone gets to have Amen. Amen. And, about and that. The, the decisions that you mm -hmm. make along the way is what allows you to get to that gift yeah mm -hmm. and, and there you know and especially decisions where as you get older you become more and more established and more comfortable and you don't have to work as hard yeah. and, and you, you're kind of sitting back on the work that you've done in the previous mm -hmm. decades yeah. you know mm -hmm. yeah. th that that takes a lot of planning and thought yeah. to get to that point. You don't just, you don't get there accidentally. That's right. And, you know, between, you know, drugs, prison, you know, doing crime, uh, you know, having kids too early, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or or just just living life, you know, paycheck to paycheck, not really thinking what, what, what you're gonna do, not having a career, not, you mm -hmm. know, if college is, is on your, you know, like for years I used to think like, you know, if I didn't go to college, I could have started my DJ career earlier and I would have been farther along only to find out years later with Vlad TV that all my years in college actually paid off in what my real, real career was gonna be because Vlad TV is as much of a tech company as it is a content company because okay. so much of the back end is technology that that I helped to architect, yeah. you know, with a programmer, you know. So it was like all those years of thinking I'd wasted my time actually weren't a waste of time right. because when when you look at sort of all my peers in the space, no one really has the technical background, mm -hmm. so all their companies never really flourished in the same way. Mm -hmm. So 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 that that's really the whole thing of like just just thinking about it and planning for it and saying like okay, you know, like I plan on being 70, 80, 100 years old and and this is what I need to do to get there. And to be comfortable when I get to that point. That's right. right. Because right. you don't want to be 80 years old sitting in a jail cell. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't want to be 80 years old working at Walmart right. as a greeter. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because mm -hmm. your social security checks just don't cover your bills. Mm -hmm. right. If you want to do it just to get out of the house, that's cool. But right. having to do it, working at McDonald's, you know, at that age. Because you, yep. you have to. And there's a lot of people that have to. Because social security and the rising cost of living just yeah. just isn't cutting, it and they have no savings for whatever reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I've been dead broke before. I've been homeless, sleeping on friends' couches, and so forth. I, I know what it's like to be at that level, and you don't want to be at that level. It's okay to be at that level in your twenties, or maybe mm -hmm. even your early thirties, as you try to figure things out. But it's not cool to be at that level at your forties, fifties, sixties, like right. you know, where you're, you don't move around as quickly and, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's harder and, you know, there's, there's age discrimination and, and everything else like that. So, so, so that's a lot of it for me. Yeah. Man, that's an incredible response. That's great. Thank you so Thank much. You. Um, Thank you. 
Is there anything that's developed since you and I met, since I did your interview, that you want to ask me? Is there any questions, anything that you might? No, I, I think. Uh, I mean, I think we went pretty, pretty in depth with that with that interview. You know, I, I think a lot of people got to get to know you for the first mm -hmm. time. I think you yes. know, and, and I think with, with my interviews, it's always like I like to give people something that they never knew they needed. Right. You know, it's not like a hundred people a day were asking for an Apolloni interview. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, you know, I think that you guys want to hear this Apolloni interview. <laughs> and, and once it comes out, you guys will see what I mean. Yeah. Thank you, you know, kind of like how, you know, like Steve Jobs, you know, right. like, you know, the iPhone. It's like, you guys didn't know you need an iPhone, but here you go. Now you can't live without it. Right. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's really like, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, we got to give the world sort of your story and sort of the Prince story mm -hmm. from from an angle that they may not have known about. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the piece, especially the full interview, the way it came together. I'm proud of the way it kind of came together and how it's gonna be sort of a, a lasting mm -hmm. piece of, of content and art, you know, for the world to see in the future. Thank you, Vlad, for giving me that platform. I really appreciate it. It was My just something else different. My for me. pleasure. Thank you. And thank yeah. you for being here today. Yeah. Thank no you for thank you for coming and uh gracing our podcast with your knowledge, yes. your wisdom, and uh just your presence. This has been a great, great, great interview. Great thank afternoon you. for us. DJ thank you. Vlad in the house. Yes. Thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. Woo! Thank you. What an honor. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Influencer. Yes. Yes. And we will see you next time on Apollonia Studio, Studio 6. 6. Thank you. Peace.